Hi, everybody. This is Bob Bro. Welcome to the Best Old Time Radio Podcast. This week, we're playing an archive show. This is a Boomer Boulevard show originally broadcast in May of 2016, May 9th to be exact. And I hope you enjoy it. It's half past eight exactly, Mr. Dillon. I better get it out of the safe now. to the merry, merry month of May, everybody. Good to see you. This is Bob Bro. Welcome. Welcome to Boomer Boulevard. Chester and I are here putting together a number of shows that I think that you will enjoy over the next uh, couple of hours. We have a Lux Radio Theater that features Cary Grant. We'll tell you a little bit about that in a minute. We have an episode of Tales of the Texas Rangers. Starring Joel McRae as uh, Texas Ranger Jace Pearson. And uh, he's in, in pursuit of a pretty pretty rotten guy. And talk about rotten guys. We have one of the rottenest guys on Gunsmoke that you'll ever want to meet. So that's the lineup tonight. And uh, Chester, like I said, has all of the shows ready to go over there. So if you can just take a moment to get yourself situated... I want everybody back here in about 45 seconds. It's good to see you. Good to see you here in the beautiful, wonderful month of May. One of my favorite times of the year. Hey, we're going to start things off this week by taking a trip to the movies. Saturday night at 8 o'clock. I know where I'm gonna go I'm gonna pick my baby up 
lecture show Everybody in the neighborhood Is dressing up to be there too And we're gonna have a ball Just like we always do Saturday night at the movies Who cares what picture you see People used to dress up to go to the movies. Movie theaters were very formal with ushers and tuxedos and uh, many times reserved seats. Going to the movies, especially, like I said, before television, was a very big deal. No wonder Lux Radio Theater was one of the most listened to programs on radio. And it was because they would recreate hit movies and oftentimes have the very stars on the radio that uh, played in those hit movies. A good case in point is a movie that came out in 1947, 48, entitled Mr. Blandings Builds His Dream House, starring Cary Grant. And the very next year, it was on a Lux Radio Theater. And you are in luck because we have a copy of that broadcast and we're going to listen to it tonight. Oh, Saturday night at the movies Who cares what picture you see When you're hugging with your baby in the last row of the balcony Oh, Saturday night at the movies Who cares what picture Lux presents Hollywood. Lever Brothers Company, the makers of Lux Toilet Soap, bring you the Lux Radio Theater, starring Cary Grant and Irene Dunn in Mr. Blanding's Builds His Dream House. Ladies and gentlemen, your producer, Mr. William Keeling. Greetings from Hollywood, ladies and gentlemen. No two stars have given so many performances that honestly rate the word classic as Irene Dunn and Cary Grant. And tonight, we've reunited this famous team in a comedy as timely as today's headlines. It's the RKO picture, Mr. Blanding's Bills His Dream House. You know, almost everyone has had a housing problem at some time or other, and the Blandings had their troubles, even as you and I. In fact, they had so much trouble, their story became a hit motion picture. You know, you have your idea of a dream house, and your neighbor has another. But one thing is certain. Any well-run dream house will include a supply of the new bath-sized Lux toilet soap. Whatever the arguments about architecture, most people agree Lux soap is perfect. Now here's the curtain for Mr. Blanding's Bill's His Dream House, starring Cary Grant in his original screen role as Jim and Irene Dunn as Muriel. Like millions of other New Yorkers, Jim and Muriel Blandings and their two young daughters are cliff dwellers. Home to them is an apartment. Oh, adequate, but somewhat crowded. 
Not that Jim isn't doing well. He's a college graduate, makes 15000 a year in the advertising business. Anyway, on this crisp September morning, Jim Blandings has just staggered out of bed and commenced a typical seven o'clock ritual. You're looking for something, dear? Hmm? Oh, you're awake. I'm looking for my socks. Why don't you look in your sock drawer? That's where I found my underwear. Why don't you try your underwear drawer? I am in my underwear drawer now. <laughs> Oddly enough, it's full of underwear. Or yours. Well, socks just don't get up and walk away by themselves, mm. dear. Muriel, now look. I thought we had it clearly understood that the four bottom drawers were yours and these two top drawers were mine. The closet. Huh? That's where they are. We put them in the closet. Uh, put what in the closet? Your socks. Gussie and I decided that from now on, we'll keep them in a basket on the shelf. Oh, for a basket. Basket in the closet. Well, where is the basket? Right there on the shelf, dear. Under my hat boxes in the overnight bag. Oh. Oh, yeah. Jim, dear, I do wish you'd try to make a little more effort. Well, I'll try, dear. Now, look at that. Muriel, Muriel, maybe if you put the basket on top of the hat boxes instead of underneath the hat oh, now, boxes... now, Jim, Jim, just go out and tell Gussie to give you a nice cup of coffee. I'll try and get the girls out of the bathroom. Oh, thank you, Muriel. I'm sorry. I'll feel better after a cup of coffee. Oh, excuse me, Jim, my face cream. It's in the medicine cabinet. I'll be through shaving in a minute. It's all right. I can reach it. Ouch! Oh, oh. did you cut yourself? I, I cut myself every morning. I kind of look forward to it. <laughs> Let's see now. There's Betsy's vitamins. Oh, take your time, dear. I can spare the blood. Why don't you... Why don't you get an electric razor? You can't get used to them. That's silly. Bill Cole's been using an electric razor for years. He hasn't got my beard. Bill's beard is just as coarse and I tough. I am not interested in discussing the grain and texture of Bill Cole's hair follicles before I've had my orange juice. All I said was, why don't you use an electric razor? Because I prefer the clean sweep of the Tempered steel as it glides smoothly no over No advertising. My... Please, please, just hurry, dear. You'll be late for breakfast. Oh, sure. <clears throat> All right, girls. Who did it? Who tore a piece out of my morning newspaper? Well? I'm sorry, Father. It's part of my research for school. Oh, I see. Another of Miss Stellwagen's so-called progressive projects. Now, Jim, Jim, there just isn't any point in sending your children to an expensive school if you're going to undermine the teacher's authority in your own dining room. I am not undermining anything. I'm in the advertising business, and keeping abreast of the times is important to me. Baker, baker, baker. You drink your milk. Every time your father and I have a lively discussion, dear, it doesn't necessarily mean we're bickering. Miss Stellwagen says that advertising is crass commercialism in its lowest form. Oh, oh, she does, does she? Well, well perhaps your Miss Stellwagen is right. <laughs> perhaps I should quit this crass commercialism, which at this very moment is paying for your fancy tuition. Those extra French lessons. That progressive summer camp. To say nothing of the very braces on your back teeth. <laughs> Jim, I wish you wouldn't discuss money in front of the children. Why not? They spend enough of it. Baker, baker, All right, baker. girls, get your things now and run along. Yeah, let's go, Betsy. Goodbye, Daddy. <laughs> Give my regards to Miss Stellwagon. Anyway, you're still the nicest father I've ever had. I'll get it, Gussie. <laughs> Hiya, kids. Bill, we haven't seen you in ages. Sorry, Billy, we gotta run. Wrong. 
Well, good morning. Oh, what are you doing here? Oh, just thought I'd stop by and return these sketches, Muriel. Coffee? Yeah, thanks. Now, personally, I think Funkhauser's two or $3,000 out of line. Of course, you could save that amount by not tearing out the living room wall. Hmm? What wall? What are you talking about? Who's Funkhauser? Oh, Funk- Bunny Funkhauser, dear. Who? Well, you know that clever young interior decorator we met at the Collins cocktail party. Uh, you mean that young man with the open-toed sandals? <laughs> What about him? What about him? You know how long we've always said we must do something about fixing up this apartment. Well, Bunny has some simply darling ideas. Uh-huh. Uh, what kind of ideas? Well, I didn't want to bother you until I knew whether we could afford it or not, so I... How I... much? What's the point in asking how much, dear, until you know what you're going to get? I've seen Bunny Funkhauser. I know what I'm going to get. <laughs> Well, I think he's got some fairly interesting sketches here. Mm-hmm. Just look at this drawing, Jim. Mm. Uh, here, here's how Bunny sees our living room. Isn't mm. it charming? Oh, mm. What's that thing there? A shoe shine stand? No. It's a cobbler's bench, dear. Oh, oh. You see, the whole room's colonial. Break front, hook rug, student's lamp, pie cooler, and over here, uh, a Martha Washington desk. Hmm. Where do I keep my powdered wig? <laughs> Well, I think it's perfect. It's mm. us. Bunny says we're very American, very grassroots, very blueberry pie. Oh, well, don't look at me, Jim. Bunny said it. Mm. How much is all this going to cost? Well, $7,000. $7,000? Well, that includes tearing off the wall, but I quite agree with Bill. I, I oh, don't you that... do? Well, you're some lawyer, Bill. A defenseless woman without the slightest conception of the value of a dollar asked for advice in the next minute you've got it tearing our walls. $7,000. I wouldn't put seven cents into this broken-down rat trap. How can you talk that way, Jim? This is our home. Why, Joan was practically born in this apartment. That does not make it a national shrine. <laughs> oh, now, wait a minute. I thought I was doing you a favor. And you were, Bill. He was just showing you how you could save $3,000 by simply not tearing out the wall. Oh, I could save 7000 by not doing anything at all. Well, then, that's that, isn't it? $7,000. Blueberry pie. Huh. Uh, have you seen my hat, Muriel? It's in the hall closet, dear, where it always is. I'll get it for you. Jim! Jim, help! Oh, good morning, Mr. Blandon. Oh, hello, Mary. Well, I guess the boss will want to see the layouts on wham hand. They're here on your desk, Mr. Blanding. Oh, thanks. thanks. <clears throat> Let's see. And you've got the whim, say wham. Oh, my. For a grand slam in ham, try wham. Oh, Mary, I didn't really write that, did I? A man's got to make a living, Mr. Blandings. Uh, Well, maybe Miss Stellwagen's right. Hmm? Oh, nothing. It's just a private joke between me and whoever's going to be my analyst. Mary, tell me, would you spend $7,000 to tear out somebody else's walls? Would I walk? Well, especially when for a few thousand more you could fix up a nice old place someplace. You know, somewhere like uh, Connecticut, maybe. Yeah. And have the kind of dream house you've always wanted. Well, uh, frankly, I never Mary, had... get me the phone numbers of a few of those suburban real estate men. Oh, and call Mrs. Blandings. Tell her to keep this weekend open for a nice drive out to the Connecticut countryside. <laughs> They just drove up, Pop. That couple from New York, Mr. and Mrs. Blandings. Good, good. Uh, what place is you going to show them, Pop? Oh, three or four, son. And then I'll show them the Hackett place. Oh, no. 
Not the old Hackett place. The old, old Hackett place. Son, you ain't been learning much about the real estate business. But, but Pop, the Hackett place, it, it's falling apart. It, it leans. Hmm. Mighty quaint old place, son. Just the thing for the Blandings. And we bought it, Bill. It's ours. Well, some steel, huh? Uh, steel is an understatement. Swindle might be a little more appropriate, huh? You've been taken to the cleaners, my friend, and you don't even know your pants are off. Oh, darling, I told you. I said we ought to consult Bill before we buy it. Well, what's so wrong with this deal? $10,000 for 50 acres and only 1500 for the house. That's $200 an acre. $100 an acre is standard top-gouge price to city slickers. When the natives sell it to each other, it's around 40 or less. 40 Jim! <laughs> The man's entitled to a fair profit, and not 284%. Now, we're going to write this fellow, Hackett, and tell him he can... We'll do no such thing. You just don't understand business. You mean extortion. Jim, dear, now, maybe Bill's right. I, I, oh, I... Now, now, just a minute. Let me explain something to both of you. For 15 years, I've been cooped up in this four-room cracker box. Just getting shaved here entitles a man to the purple heart. <laughs> well, that still doesn't make this Hackett place a good buy. Now, now, look, Bill... Muriel and I have found what I'm not ashamed to call our our dream house. Why, it's it's like a fine painting. You buy it with your heart, not with your head. You don't ask how much was the paint, how much was the canvas. You look at it and you say, Ah, it's beautiful. I want it. And if it costs a few more pennies, you pay it and gladly, because you love it. And you don't measure the things you love in dollars and cents. Well, anyway, that's the way I feel about it. Well, it's your money, I suppose. No. And when I sign those papers on Saturday, I can look the world in the face and say it's mine. My house. My home. My acres. Our house, darling. Our home. Our acres. Hmm. My, it's a windy day, isn't it? Well, this is it, Bill. Hmm? The dream house on Nightmare Alley. And no remarks. The house just needs someone to love it, that's all. It's a good thing there are two of you, one to love the house and one to hold it up. Jim. Jim, look. There's something blowing off the roof. Hmm? Oh, yeah. Oh, it looks like, like shingles. Well, what did your engineer say when he checked that roof? Our engineer? Who needs engineers? This isn't a train, you know. Say, that house is moving. I just saw it move. This house has been standing since the second year of the Continental Congress. You take one look at it and shingles start to drop. Now, look, do me one favor, will you? I've got a client. He's a crackerjack structural engineer, Joe Apollonio. Oh, yeah. Now, he... Well, I'll be right back, Muriel. Just, just want to measure that fireplace again. Now, uh, not that it's any of my business, Muriel, but uh, how are you and Jim paying for this place? Well, we're cashing in our government bonds, and Mr. Hackett's taking a $6,000 mortgage. Hmm. Well, it could be worse. And as long as you and Jim love it so much... Help! Help! Jim! What's the matter? Where are you? I fell through the floor! (laughs) Bill, I think you'd better get in touch with Mr. Apollonio. Muriel! So that... 
That's why we've come to you, Mr. Sims. After Mr. Apollonio saw the house, we got our own expert, Mr. Murphy, and then Mr. Gillis, but they all said the same thing. Yeah, tear it down. Well, as an architect, I'm inclined to agree with them. Of course, you can remodel, but uh, for what it would cost you, why, you can have a fine new house. Hmm, a new house, huh? Yes, something like uh, like this, for instance. Now, in this sketch no, here... No, oh, no, no, no. I, I don't think we're at all ready to commit ourselves. Oh, no, no. But if, if, if we were to consider building, I can tell you there's one thing we'd have to have, Mr. Sims. Plenty of closets. Well, yes, if I might uh, make a suggestion... And bathrooms. Each bedroom must have at least one bathroom. You see, Mr. Sims, our problem is... I made a drawing of exactly what I mean, Mr. Sims. A little playroom for the basement, you see? Uh, nothing tremendous, just a little something to... And I've always wanted a sewing room, Mr. Sims. Mm. A little utility room upstairs where I could be alone and sew or, or sulk on a rainy afternoon. Yes, but I think I'd better point out... And here out... off the kitchen, a little flower sink with a stone floor and shelves for vases and gardening things. And maybe a little closet. Uh, uh, sure, sure. Why, why not? Now, over here... We My can... dear Mr. Blendings, now in the first place, you've got the upstairs about three times as big as the downstairs. <laughs> There, you see, Muriel? It's all those bathrooms. Nonsense. It's all those closets. And by extending the breakfast room, you've eliminated the possibility of any stairs going up to the second floor. (laughs) No stairs? Oh. Now, now, is it absolutely necessary for each of your daughters to have her own room with two closets and a private bath? Yes, yes. You see, our daughters are approaching womanhood. Uh, Well, I didn't realize they were approaching it quite so fast. (laughs) Now, what about that silly flower sink and that sewing room? I beg your pardon. What we need is a, a major savings. Now, a simple... Simple bathroom, Mrs. Blandings, costs about $1,300. Now, if you could do with just one less... No, no, I refuse to endanger the health of my children in a house with less than four bathrooms. For $1,300, they can live in a house with only three bathrooms and rough it. Look, suppose I go ahead with some preliminary plans and then we can get together in about a week's time. Yes, you do that, Mr. Sims. But just don't forget, we've got to hold it down under $10,000. That, I can tell you right now, is impossible. Oh. Oh, well, I I guess we're not going to quibble about a few pennies one way or another. Oh, by the way, Mr. Blandings, have you anything in mind as to how you'd like the old place taken down? Yeah. Why don't we just go out there and blow on it? (laughs) Come on in, Bill. Just in time. Muriel and I are going over the plane. In here, Bill, in the dining room. Hi. Well, so you have torn down the old house, huh? Most practical thing we ever did. Uh Uh-huh. Uh, how much did that cost? Uh, well, fourteen hundred dollars. Now, never mind, Bill. I bet we've got the nicest vacant lot in the state of Connecticut. <laughs> well, Muriel, he's done it again. Uh, who's done? Well, what's eating you? What did I do? Now, once, just once, why don't you come to me and find out if it's all right, if it's legal, before you run yourself smack into another jam? Oh, Jim, what's happened? What's Bill talking about? I don't know. He won't tell me. All you did was tear down a house in which another man happens to own a mortgage without first getting his written permission. Well, what's that got to do? No. Yeah. Oh. And in such cases, the mortgagee can demand full payment of said mortgage. Oh, Jim. And Mr. Hackett so demands 6,000 clams. Oh, my. $6,000. Well, I, I guess I can turn in my insurance policy. Oh, no, Jim. No, you can't do that. Well, why not? Well, if anything should happen, the children would be left unprotected. I'm not dead yet. <laughs> no, of course you are not. Well, I'll see the boys at the bank. Uh, you can put up your insurance as collateral. If necessary, I'll sign a personal note. Uh-huh. Uh, thanks, Bill. Sure. Well, I've got to run along. Good night, Muriel. Good night, Bill. I'll let you know what the bank says, Squire. 
what a wonderful friend. Hmm. Uh, what's with all this kissing all of a sudden? He comes in, you kiss him. He goes out, you kiss him. Well, what's wrong with that? Well, just because a man is helpful in a business way doesn't give him extracurricular privileges with my wife. That's a fine thing to say about a friend of 15 years. Well, if he were 15, I wouldn't mind. (laughs) He's 41. Every time he shakes my hand, he kisses you. Would you prefer it the other way around? Uh, Well... Why is he always hanging around? Why doesn't he go out and get married or something? Because he can't find another girl as pretty and sweet and wholesome as I am. Mm. Oh, darling, let's not be silly about this. It isn't Bill that's upsetting you. It's the house. (laughs) Yeah, I suppose so. Now, Muriel, do you think it's worth all this? Of course it is. It isn't a house we're building, Jim. It's a home for ourselves and our children and... Maybe our children's children. Yeah. Each with two closets and a private bath. (laughs) Well, it's a few days later, and in the office of Mr. Sims, the architect... Jim and Muriel Blandings hear the latest report on their dream house. To wit, an estimate. Eighteen thousand dollars? That's ridiculous, Mr. Sims. Well, frankly, with all those extras you've insisted But we've only asked for the barest necessities. Never mind, dear. It no longer matters. Now, if you'll just send us a bill for your services... But, Mr. Blandings, now, in the first place... in the first place, I'm going out to have my head examined. (laughs) And then I'm going to find the owner of our apartment house and sign a 20-year lease. Goodbye. Well, if you feel that strongly about I'm afraid we do, Mr. Sims. I'm sorry if we've... Jim. Jim, look. Hmm? Oh, 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 there. Yes, I I took the liberty of making a sort of a finished sketch of the house in watercolor. It even has our name on it. Residence of Mr. and Mrs. James Blandings. Shrunk Mills, Connecticut. Ah, it's beautiful. Mm Mm-hmm. Residence of Mr. and Mrs. James... <clears throat> Mr. Sims, do you really think you could keep it to 18000 Well, now, well, 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 let's pull up some chairs, shall we? Well, how's it look, Bill? That's some excavation, huh? Mm-hmm. Oh, what's going on over there? Oh, that's Mr. Tizander. He's digging our well. Been here since Monday at $4.50 a foot. Yeah, I think I'd better have a little talk with Mr. Tizander. <clears throat> Good morning. Yep. How's it coming? Oh, it's, uh, it's coming. How far down are you? Oh, about 150 feet. Well, isn't that pretty deep? Yeah. Well, haven't you hit anything at all yet? Hit some limestone yesterday. Uh, that's good? That's bad. Oh. And right now, looks like we're coming in some shale. That's bad? That's good. Of course, it might turn out to be sandstone. That's bad? Can't tell. Might be good. Might uh, be bad. Oh, I see. Thank you, thank you. Just for the record, Mr. Tizander, what's happened to the water? Oh, it's there, all right. Just got to be patient. And 
the art department promises the layout's no later than Monday, Mr. Blanding. Okay, Mary, please type up that copy. Right. I'm sorry, Bill, but I've got to work once in a while, you know. Yeah, well, uh, oddly enough, that's why I'm here. You see, I happen to be closeted with your boss about a little legal work, and he just happened to mention that you haven't come up with one good slogan for Wham Ham. What's he worrying about? The deadline's months away. Besides, you don't... Oh, just a minute. Hello? Yeah? Okay, put her on. Muriel Bill, she's up in Connecticut. <clears throat> yes, Muriel? What? What? It's a struck water. Mm-hmm. Say, that's wonderful, dear. Hey, Bill, we got our well. Congratulations. Uh, what's that, Muriel? Uh, well, what do you mean we got two wells? Oh. Oh. Well, I'll be right out. Say, how could we have two wells? I can't wait to find out. Let's go. <laughs> So it all happened when Mr. Zucker was excavating, huh? That's what Mr. Wretch says. That's right, folks. Why, Zucker almost drowned. So we've hit a spring. A spring of clear, cold, bubbling mountain water right here in our cellar. And I can't pour a bag of cement until the water's diverted. Hmm. Well, hello, Mr. Tazander. Oh, uh, howdy. Uh, you see, Mr. Tazander, water. Yep. At six feet. Yep. And just over there, you had to go down 227 feet to hit the same water. Yep. Now, how do you account for that, Mr. Tisander? Well, where it appears to me, Mr. Blanding, over here, the water's down only six feet. But over there, it's down around 227 feet. Yep. You've got nothing to worry about, Mr. Blanding. Once we get the pumps here, your house will go up in no time. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Hey, what's happened to that steam shovel? Huh? Oh, well, is, is something wrong, Mr. Zucker? Oh, no, no. I just broke my bucket, that's all. Oh, you hit a boulder, huh? That's no boulder, that's a ledge. something, Mother? I'll never forget this moment. My family about to cross the threshold of our first real home. I'm sure glad we got kicked out of that apartment. Hey, I don't hear any work, Mother. Oh, it's Saturday afternoon. Only the painters are working. Well, aren't we going in? (laughs) Don't be in such a hurry. You know, dear, uh, Betsy's right. It is a big moment. And I'm going to carry you across the threshold. Oh, Jim, how sweet. Watch that sacroiliac, Pop. It's been 15 years since you've tried anything like that. Oh, that's all you know about it. <laughs> no, 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 not in here. Jim, huh? you better put me down. Can't darling. you read us something? The sign says wet paint. I haven't touched anything. Your feet are touching something, ain't they? The floor. Oh. I just got through varnishing the floor. Well, put some planks down or something. How do you expect us to live here okay, if you don't... Okay, need... Mac, okay, take it easy. The Republicans ain't in yet, you know. <laughs> Wait till I see Sims about this. Hey, Daddy, come and see what we just found. The windows. We don't have any windows. Well, we'll see Sims about that, too. What time did he say he'd be here, Mary? Well, I think maybe he's here now, darling. He and Mr. Wretch, I think they're out in the back. Just the man I want to see, Mr. Blanding. He's got a few bills uh, here. I'd like... What about our windows, Mr. Wretch? Well, I think I can answer that, Mr. Blanding's. There's been a little slip-up. Oh, the windows were delivered, all right. Only they weren't the right windows. Those windows belong to a Mr. Landings in Fishkill. I just phoned him. You mean he's got our windows? Well, no, Mrs. Blanding's. It seems Mr. Landings has some windows that belong to a Mr. Blandsworth in Peekskill. Uh... 
But where are our windows? Well, as near as we can find out, they've either been sent to a Mr. Banning in Stamford or to a Mr. Ginsburg in Waterbury. Well, how did Ginsburg get into this? Well, uh, what are we supposed to do, gentlemen? Spend the rest of our lives in a house without windows? Just a matter of a few days, Mrs. Blandings. Now, about that rub-dub water soft NR. The what? Rub-dub water soft NR. Well, now, how would I know about that? Oh, because you've got one, Mrs. Blandings. Furnished and installed for $285. Well, I didn't order it. I'm afraid I did, Mrs. Blandings. You see, to save your water pipes, the plumber assured me that the water in your well is the most corrosive in his entire experience in the trade. Another first. (laughs) Well, uh, send me the bill. You've got it. I left it on the kitchen sink. Well, all right, then. Oh, uh, Padelford's coming this afternoon. Who authorized a Padelford? Now, first I get a rub-dub and now a Padelford. He's the painting contractor. (laughs) Mr. Padelford, I wanted to see him. Oh, 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 well, okay. Well, just get him over here. Uh, Padelford. Now, first of all, the living room here. I want it to be a soft green, Mr. Padelford. Uh-huh. Uh, not a blue green like a, a robin's egg. No. And yet not as yellow as daffodil buds. Uh-huh. Now, the only sample I could get is a little too yellow. But don't let whoever does it go to the other extreme get it too blue. No. It should be just a sort of a, of a, a grayish yellow green. Uh-huh. Now, the dining room, I'd like yellow. Not just yellow, but very gay yellow. Something bright and sunshiny. Uh-huh. I tell you what you do, Mr. Padelford. You just ask that man who's varnishing the floors in there to go down to the grocer and get a pound of their very best butter. And you just match that butter exactly and you can't go wrong. Now, here, uh-huh. the, here's the wallpaper we're going to use in the hall. It's flowered. But I don't want the ceiling to match any of the colors of the flower. No. No. There, um, there's some uh, little dots in the background. See? It's, now, it's those little dots I want you to match. No. I don't want those, uh, those greenish dots near the hollyhock leaves. No. No, I want those, those little bluish dots there between the rosebud and the delphidium blossom. Clear? Uh-huh. Now, the kitchen, the kitchen's to be white. But... Not a cold antiseptic hospital fight, you know. No. I want something, something warmer, Mr. Padelford. Uh, but still not to suggest any other color but white. Now, for the powder room, I brought you a piece of thread. And uh, I uh, want you to match it exactly and, and don't lose it. I had an awful time finding it. Now, as you see, the, the color of the thread is, is, uh, is like a, an apple red. It's somewhere between a healthy wine sap and an unripened Jonathan. Dear, dear. You'll have to excuse me now. I've got to meet a friend of ours at the station. Hey, Charlie. It's okay, boss. I've been listening. Did you get everything? Sure. Red, green, blue, yellow, and white. Check. Daddy, I can't find her. Huh? Oh, she drove Bill Cole down to the station. She'll be back soon. Oh. Well, go on, pack another barrel. Help Gussie or something. I just finished a barrel. And look what I found, Daddy. Uncle Bill's paternity pin and Mother's diary while she hmm? was in college. It's slightly torn. Oh, now that's none of your business. Now, just put that diary down and unpack something else. I'd say Mother and Uncle Bill were somewhat of an item. Uh, people do not read other people's diaries. It's not a very nice thing to do. 
Dear diary, tonight Bill and I drove out to Stover's Point. As we sat there in the moonlight, he started. Holy smoke! Well, the girls are asleep, Jim. Hmm. There's no need to be so irritable, dear. Well, sometimes a man just doesn't feel like talking. Oh, something wrong at the office? No. Got the new slogan for Wham? It's not due yet. Well, you're certainly upset about something. Well, it, it's just that I don't happen to approve of falsehood and deception. What are you talking about? Oh, nothing. <clears throat> but I distinctly remember your telling me that you returned Bill Cole's fraternity pin 15 years ago. That I... What? Well, did you or didn't you? Well, did I or didn't I what? Give it back to him. Well, of course I did. If I said I did, I did. Ah, well... Then perhaps you'll have the goodness to explain how this happened to fall out of your jewel box. His <laughs> fraternity bills. Now, what's so funny? Oh, you. You're jealous. If you were so crazy about the guy, why didn't you marry him? Because I wasn't in love with him. Well, that's not what you said in your diary. My what? <clears throat> well, it, 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 it just happened to fall open, and I, I happened to look at it. It just happened. Yeah, I, I'll just bet. Well, it's all over the book. You were in love with Bill Cole. Oh, don't be absurd. Of course I was in love with Bill. In those days, I was in love with a new man every week. Then why did you marry me? I'm beginning to wonder. <laughs> it is those big cow eyes of yours. <laughs> that ridiculous hole in your chin. Maybe I knew you were going to bring me out to this $38,000 icebox with no windows. Or maybe I just happened to fall in love with you, but for heaven's sake, don't ask me why. Muriel. What is it? Uh, well, what, what are you doing down there on the floor? I'm trying to sleep. The moving men forgot our bed. Oh. What time is it? Uh, half past twelve. Thank you. I guess I fell asleep downstairs. Muriel, would it do any good to say I'm sorry? I don't know. Well, I am. I behave like a schoolboy, and I'm sorry. Jim. Oh, Jim. If you hadn't kissed me tonight, I... Yes, I just would have died. <laughs> uh, why do I love you so much? <sighs> Darling, it's awfully late. Uh-huh. <laughs> Maybe you ought to go downstairs and lock the doors. Now, what for? The windows are all open anyway. <laughs> Got to get up at five o'clock, you know. I... Five o'clock? But why? I forgot to tell you, dear. The railroad just put in a new schedule. Oh. Well, that, that means I'll be at the office before eight. Yes, but if, if you get there earlier, maybe you can leave earlier. Yeah, to get home earlier, to go to bed earlier, to get up earlier. So. <laughs> Jim. Hmm. Yes, dear? Good night, dear. Uh, good night, dear. Well, 
Mr. Blandings has built his dream house. And as the bills and the extras stare him in the face, so does the deadline for a new slogan for Wham Ham. It's now nine o'clock on a very wet night. Jim's at the office, up to his elbows in slogans. Is there anything I can type up for you, Mr. Blandings? I can't think of a thing, Mary, except probably my resignation. <laughs> well, it sure is raining, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. That's funny, Mary, how you look forward to little things. Rain, for instance. For a month now, I've been looking forward to the first rainy night in my new house. Uh, big blazing fire. Muriel pouring coffee. <laughs> Me in my new smoking jacket with my pipe and slippers reading a good book. Ah, uh, well. Poor Mrs. Blandings. Must get pretty lonesome out there. At night, I mean. And a rainstorm. Mm. She's probably worried to death about me. Oh, well. Give me some more paper, Mary. (laughs) (laughs) And then out you went and bobbed your hair. Let's see now. That must have been about a month before you married him. And was Jim mad. Once more coffee, Bill. Thanks. Well, I picked a fine night to come calling, didn't I? Rainstorm, Jim in New York. Yes, he's probably worried to death about me. I wonder if my coat's dry by now. I'd look a little silly going back in Jim's new smoking jacket. No, I think you look very cute. Oh, thank heavens. Must be the children. Oh, sit still. I'll get it. Coming, coming. Well, it's about time you kid. Oh, you're not the kid. Yeah, I'm Harry Selby from down the road. Boy, what a storm. Just come by to tell you that the kids are safe, Mr. Blandings. Oh, uh, I'm not Mr. Blandings. Uh-huh. I- I'm Mrs. Blandings, Mr. Selby. Oh, oh well, how do you do? Uh, and Mrs. Williams just called my wife to say your telephone's out of order. Oh, no. And they just roped off the bridge at Shrunk Mills. But my children... Oh, don't you worry about them, Mrs. Blandings. They're spending the night with the Williams. Oh, oh well, that's a relief. I was just beginning to get quite worried about Well, them. I better get back before I have to swim for them. Good night, Mrs. Blandings. Oh, thank you, Mr. Selby. Oh, not at all. Good night, Mr. Blandings. Uh, uh, Cole, uh, Bill Cole, friend of the family, uh, just came in out of the rain. Uh, uh, oh, oh, well, good night. Uh, no bridge. How do I get back to civilization? Well, you'll just have to stay here until it stops raining or they fix the bridge or something. Yeah, yeah, I guess I'll have to. Well, get out the cards, Muriel. We can always play gin. Well, how about this one, Mary? <clears throat> compare the price, compare the slice, take our advice by wham. Oh, now, really, Mr. Blanding? Yeah, I know, I know. It's no good. All right. Now, here's another. If you'd buy better ham... You'd better buy wham. Well, it's just like boil petroleum. If you'd buy better oil, you'd better buy boil. Oh. Well, it's no use. I can't think anymore. All I've got on my mind is a house with an $18,000 mortgage and bills and extras and antiques and... Uh... Oh, I don't know. I just don't know. You going somewhere? Uh, yes, I- I'm going home. I'm going home to get some sleep. But the slogan, you haven't even got... I well, suppose the... I haven't. This isn't the only job in town. Well, what'll you tell Mr. Dascom? Oh, I'll tell Mr. Dascom to... to... Well, I don't know. I'll just tell him. Mr. Sims, well, good morning. Come in. I know it's a little early to be calling Mrs. Blandings. I just thought I might catch her husband before he left for the office. Oh, I'm sorry, but Jim isn't here. But come on in anyway. We're going to have breakfast in a little while. Oh, I've already had my... Oh, well, there's Mr. Blandings now getting out of that taxi. Oh, he must be exhausted. He worked all night in the office. You don't say. Jim. Uh, 
Good morning, dear. How'd it go, darling? Oh, fine, fine, fine. Oh, hello, Sam. Mr. Blennings. Everything all right? Yeah, everything's fine. Well, Sims, what are you doing out here with a morning dew? Well, some extra bills have come in from Wretch, and I don't quite understand them. Really? What are they? Oh, a few of the things are all right, I guess. Now, here's an item. Hmm. Mortising five butts at a dollar ninety-eight. Oh, well, let's not quibble about it. A man's entitled to mortise a few butts now and then, I think. <laughs> oh, and uh, this one here, extra hardware, nine dollars and eighteen cents. Hmm. Petty larceny, but let him get away with it. Now, here's one that, frankly, I don't understand at all. Changes in the closet, $1,247. Well, we probably talked... Twelve hundred and what? Forty-seven dollars. Oh, that's the end. What closet? What changes? Well, that's just it. It isn't a closet at all. It's it's, it's Mrs. Blanning's little flower sink. Uh, you didn't authorize any changes, did you, Mrs. Blanning? Well, they certainly weren't changes. Muriel, what have you done? I haven't done anything. All I did was, oh, my goodness, nothing at all. What have you done? <laughs> well, all I did was... One day I saw four pieces of flagstone left over from the porch that were just going to be thrown away. Nobody wanted them. And I asked Mr. Wretch if he wouldn't just put them down on the floor of the flower room and poke a little cement in between the cracks and give me a nice stone floor where it might get wet from flowers and things. And that's absolutely all I did. Mm-hmm. That's all you did. Absolutely. Just four little pieces of flagstone. Did you by any chance authorize a drain? Of course I didn't. All I said was I wanted a nice, dry stone floor, and Mr. What, Mr. Wretch was just as nice as he could be. Well, what did Mr. Wretch say? Well, all he said was, well, you're the doctor, Mrs. Blandings. And that was all anybody said to anybody about anything. Oh, well, I, I think I can tell you just about what happened. You see, those planks run under the entire width of the pantry, so that Wretch had to knock out the bottom of the pantry wall to get at it. Then he had to chop off the top of the joists under the flower sink to make room for the cradle. But all I said was... And then with the added load on the weakened joists, I'll bet he had to put a lally column down there for support. Oh, I'll bet. But it, it was just four little pieces of flagstone, and I only Quiet. asked him... Now, the soil pipe runs under there on wall brackets, so that Wretch had to get the plumber back. Oh, 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 good morning, Mr. Cole. Morning. Morning, Muriel, dear. Morning, Jim. Yeah, well, hello, Of course, they're hot but, and cold water When did you get here? Joists, right? Under... Well, as a matter of fact, last night, I, I stayed over. Oh, you stayed over. He stayed over. The bridge was roped off. He had to stay. I slept like a rock, too. Now, just a minute. Morning, everybody. Wow, what a night. I've never seen so much rain in all my natural life. You mean you weren't here last night, Gussie? No, dear. Gussie spent the night in Lansdale. I passed the girls over by the Williams house, Miss Bland, and they ought to be home any minute now. Thank you, Gussie. Now, you better start breakfast. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Right away. All right. Now, uh, where were we? Why, uh, with the electrician uh, ripping out 60 feet of armored cable. Right, Mr. Sims? What? Oh, oh yes, yes. Muriel. You mean the children weren't here last night either? How could they be, dear? The bridge was closed. I just came across it. It was closed last night. It's open now. Well, uh, if you'll all excuse me, I think I'll glance through the morning paper. Well, I guess that's about the size of it, Mr. Blandings, except that Wretch also had to repair the pantry wall, and he couldn't possibly have broken through the wall without... Oh, all right, Sims, all right. We'll take care of it. I'll admit it's a little steep. I'll uh, try to get Wretch to knock off $100. If I can't get that, I'll get 75 well, 50, maybe. Anyway, I'm almost sure we can get 25. Well, good day. Good day. Darling, you're upset. Got a lot of things on your mind. Hmm. Muriel, there's only one thing I've got on my mind. This house and how soon we can get rid of it. No, that's not what you're thinking. Maybe not. Maybe I was thinking I was once a happy man. I didn't have a closet. I didn't even have three bathrooms. 
But I did have my sanity, a few thousand dollars in the bank, two children who loved me, and a wife I could trust. Oh, that's a fine thing to say. I also had a job at the Dascom Advertising Agency, something I don't happen to have at the moment. Jim! That's right. I'm going to resign. We're starting all over again, from scratch, and without this house. You love this house. I hate this house. From its mortised butts to its rubbed-up water softening off. <laughs> You know you don't mean that. Every word of it. Anybody who builds a house today is crazy. The minute you start, they put you on the list. The all-American sucker list. You start out to build a home and you wind up the poorhouse. And if it can happen to me, what about the fellows who aren't making 15000 a year? What about the kids who just got married and want... Now somebody's looking in the window. <laughs> it's Mr. Tazander. All right, Mr. Tazander. What do you want? Well, at least we can open the door. <clears throat> Hello, Mr. Tazander. Morning. Well... Mr. Blandings, there's a matter of $12.36. No. $12.36. Yep. Well, why be a piker, Mr. DeSander? Here, take everything I've got. I'll empty my pockets for you. Take it all. Spread it out amongst your pals. Maybe Wretch would like a little something. Maybe Zucker could use my new smoking jacket. It's open house, Mr. DeSander. Help yourself. Now, now, Mr. Blandings, hold on. It's twelve dollars and thirty six cents. Uh, you don't owe me. I owe you. Uh, uh, what was that? Yep. Uh, seems that I overcharged you almost three feet. Uh, it is, Miss Blandings. I think it's all there. Thank you very much, Mister Tazander. Uh, well, I uh, guess I'd best be going. My, my, you sure got a pretty place here. Uh, take good care of it. Oh, and uh, I'll tell Mister Zucker about that smoking jacket. <laughs> Darling, what did you mean? We really going to have to sell the house? Oh, I don't know, Muriel. I just don't know anything anymore. In case anyone's interested, I'm leaving for town. Oh, uh, oh, Jim, if you want to count the silverware, I'll wait. Be patient with me, Bill. Maybe one of these days I'll grow up. Hey, what's happened to him? $12.36. Now, do you mind if I say something? You know, ever since this thing started, I've been firmly convinced that you were getting fleeced, bilked, rooked, flim-flammed, and generally taken to the cleaners. I know, I know. Maybe it has cost you a lot more than you thought it would. But when I look around at what you two have got here, well, I don't know. Maybe there are some things you should buy with your heart and not with your head. Maybe, maybe those are the things that really count. Well, see you around. Bye, dear. Bye, Bill. Hi, Uncle Bill. You should have seen the flood last night. The bridge was roped off, Uncle Bill. We had to stay with the neighbors. Yeah, I heard all about it. I'll bet you had a wonderful time. Well, good morning, children. Good morning, morning, morning. Daddy. Daddy. Why aren't you at the office? Well, uh, I'm on kind of a vacation, Joan. It's, uh... You mean you got fired? Well, not exactly. I... Yeah, come on, we'll discuss this later. Right now, we're going to have breakfast. Am I starving? What are we having, Gussie? Orange juice, scrambled eggs, and you know what? Ham, Gussie? Not ham, wham. If you ain't eating ham, you ain't eating ham. Now you kids go and wash your hands. Muriel, did, did you hear what she said? What are you talking about? Gussie, if you ain't eating ham, you ain't eating ham. My slogan, I've got my slogan. Jim, where are you going? Find the telephone desk him and tell Gussie she just got a $10 raise. <laughs> And so Jim Blandings got his slogan, and he kept his job, and he kept his dream house. If this story has a moral, I'm afraid it's escaped me. Unless it's to always be sure to hire a maid like Gussie. Oh, there's much more of a moral than that, Bill. Yes, Mrs. Blandings? 
I think it's to own your own home, no matter what. Oh, and ladies, you'll, you'll find a flower thing very handy. Now, all you have to do uh, is... Muriel. Yes, dear? Don't you dare. <laughs> The curtain has fallen, but our stars are coming back, and here they are. Irene Dunn and Cary Grant. Thank you, Bill. It's nice to be here. And, of course, we're delighted to have a famous team like Cary Grant and Irene Dunn reunited. Hmm. Irene, he means we're like corned beef and cabbage. <laughs> or uh, ham and eggs. No. no, I think it's more like Laurel and Hardy. <laughs> well, in that case, one of us will have to put on some more weight. Yes. <laughs> you two played Mr. and Mrs. Blandings with such conviction that I suspect you've had a similar experience. Am I right, Irene? Well, uh, we did put in a new uh, movie projector at my house and had to knock out a wall, but it was worth all the trouble. Well, how's that? Well, now my daughter's convinced I'm important in pictures. I'm the only one who can run the projector. <laughs> I'm sure you do it just as beautifully as you run your home, Irene. Well, of course, to run a home properly, you've got to have the new bath-sized Lux soap on hand, and I always have that. Say, uh, Bill, what's that big contest I've been hearing about? Something about 15-year-old Lux girls. Hmm? It's a contest to pick the most beautiful Lux girl born in 1934, Carrie. Hmm. The year the Lux Radio Theater was born. Oh, and me. And next Monday, October 17th, the 15th anniversary of the Lux Radio Theater, the papers will have full details. That's when the six winners from each of the 163 local contests will be announced. With pictures, I hope. Yes, papers all over the country will carry the photographs of the six lucky girls in their CBS station area. Well, who picks the prettiest Lux girl? Everybody will have a chance to vote for their favorite among the six local winners. Then the girl getting the most votes represents her station in the big national contest. I'd like to vote, Bill, so I'll watch the papers next Monday. You know, there's only one rule to remember. Send in your vote on a Lux toilet soap wrapper. Well, I just might possibly be able to find one. Oh, no, not just one, Irene. Vote as many times as you like. Hey, what will you have for the big anniversary show next Monday, Bill? A romantic hit direct from the current screen. The 20th Century Fox picture, Mother is a Freshman. And we'll have the original stars of the film here to celebrate our anniversary. They're Loretta Young and Van Johnson. This is delightful entertainment for the whole family. The kind of play you've liked so much during the 15 years of the Lux Radio Theater. So I know everyone will want to join our audience next Monday night. It's a grand picture, Bill, and Loretta is the loveliest freshman I ever saw. Good night. Good night. Good night, and thank you. Lever Brothers Company, the makers of Lux Toilet Soap, join me in inviting you to be with us again next Monday evening when the Lux Radio Theater presents Loretta Young and Van Johnson in Mother is a Freshman. This is William Keeley saying good night to you from Hollywood. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. From October 10th, 1949, that was Mr. Blandings Builds His Dream House, as featured on the Lux Radio Theater. 
According to some of the notes I have, the story began as an April 1946 article written for Fortune magazine. That article was later reprinted in Reader's Digest before finally being published as a novel. Of course, it was then made into a movie in 1948. Originally, the role of Muriel was played by Myrna Loy. She and Cary Grant had done three films together. Of course, Irene Dunn played Muriel in the uh, radio adaptation we heard tonight. Also, they were going to make a television series out of the story, and a pilot was made with uh, Robert Rockwell, who, of course, we know as Mr. Boynton from Our Miss Brooks. But the pilot, uh, I guess, wasn't successful because it was never, never picked up as a series. One other interesting note, as a promotion for the film, the movie studio built 73 dream houses in various locations around the country, and many of them were sold by raffle. General Electric apparently was some sort of a sponsor because 60 of the 73 houses were equipped by General Electric. Are you up and marching? The eyes of Texas are upon you all the live long day. The eyes of Texas are upon you. You cannot get away. Do not make your head stay. couldn't think of a better way to introduce Tales of the Texas Rangers than by having the king, Elvis Presley, singing The Eyes of Texas Are Upon You. Ah, what, uh, <laughs> what a great piece of music that was. Yes, we have an episode of Tales of the Texas Rangers coming up now. This was sort of the westernized version of Dragnet. All of these stories took place in the great Lone Star state of Texas, and these were based on actual cases, many of them which were handled by perhaps that greatest of all Texas Rangers, Captain M.T. Lone Wolf Gonzalez, who was a technical director on the show. Captain Gonzalez's claim to fame was that during his tenure as a Texas Ranger, he killed something like 3,542 men or or 17 men or 30 or something like that. It was some really high amount, and so he is now enshrined as the greatest of all Texas Rangers. But of course, when we listen to the show, it's about Jace Pierce, who is uh, 
played by Joel McRae. And like I've said so many times, Joel McRae is so boring as this character, and yet it's so good and fun to listen to. All right, we're going back to March 30th, 1952, for this episode entitled Nighthawk. Texas Rangers, starring Joel McRae as Ranger Jace Pearson. Another authentic reenactment of a case transcribed from the files of the Texas Rangers. places in the following story are fictitious for obvious reasons. The events themselves are a matter of record. And now, from the files of the Texas Rangers, the case called Nighthawk. It is 12.30 on a Friday night early in June 1948. In the town of Tipton, Texas, the graduation dance at Carroll College has been over for half an hour. Two miles outside town, a car drives toward a small airfield, used during the day as a landing place for a few private planes. The field and the single hangar are dark as the car rolls to a stop on the road bordering the field. Oh. You're not tired, are you, Junie? My feet are. That Will Appleton... He's your fraternity, Brother Todd. Why haven't you taught him to dance? You step on your toes. I just don't see how any boy could be so graceful on a football field and I... Oh, well. <laughs> Who wants to talk about Will Appleton, anyhow? It's a nice dance in spite of him. Mm-hmm. And nice out here, too. Mm-hmm. Moon makes everything so bright. I like the half moon. Everybody's always talking about how pretty a full moon is, but... What's the matter, Junior? Oh, somebody's coming down the road. Oh, probably some hand off one of the farms walking home. Looks like he's coming right toward us. Now, Junior, you just imagining things. He'll go on past. Todd. Hmm? He's got something over his face. Hmm. Like some kind of mask. Yeah, yeah, it looks like a stocking with holes cut out. He's got a gun, Todd. Get out. Hey, what is this? Shut up. I don't want to hear nothing out of either of you. This is a stick-up. Oh. Get out of the car. Come on. I'm getting, I'm getting. Are you too, sister? Not that way. Slide over and get out this side. What do you want? Give me your pocketbook. There's no money in it. Give it to me. Now look here, you can't do it. I told you to shut up. Now give me your wallet. That's better. What's the matter with you, sister? You got nothing to cry about? All right. Now both of you start walking down that road and don't look back. Come on, Julian. Don't be frightened. Wait a minute. You, stop walking down the road alone. You're going to stay with me, sister. No, you can't do it. Start walking or I'll blow your head off. All right, I'm going. Faster. Stop. No, I get moving. Okay, sister. Now you and me are going to take a little walk. Let go of me. Oh, be that way, baby. You and me. No, no. Shut up. Get away. I say shut up. Oh, 
Johnny. He, it's all right, Johnny. He's gone. Here. Oh, yeah, let, let, let me help. Let, let me help. Take me home. Oh, Johnny. Miller put the girl in his car and drove back to town. After taking her to the hospital, he notified her parents and the sheriff. Sheriff Wilson dispatched deputies to the scene of the robbery and requested assistance from the Texas Rangers. As soon as he had spoken to the girl, the sheriff drove back to the airfield with Todd. Minutes later, Ranger Jace Pearson, who was assigned to the case, reached the field. Howdy, Sheriff. Oh. Uh, this is Todd Miller, Jace. Howdy, Ranger. He's the boy who was held up. Go ahead, 22. Report said you weren't able to identify the man who robbed you. Is that right? Yes, sir. He had a black stocking over his head. I could only see his eyes. Where's the car you were driving, Todd? I left it in town. Sheriff brought me back here. If you're thinking about Prince, Jace, I reckon we're out of luck. Todd here says the fellow had on gloves. Uh-huh. How about the girl? She hurt bad? She'll be all right. Shaken up quite a bit, though. And he must have hit her an awful whack. Doc thinks her jaw might be broken. I shouldn't have done what he said. I, I should have stayed with Joni. You did just what you had to do, son. I don't reckon you had much choice. Todd, could you see which way he headed after he left the girl? Well, I'm not sure, but I, I thought I saw him running across the field toward the hangar. And then after I got Joni into my car, I saw a car drive out from behind the hangar and start off down the road. Any idea what kind of a car it was? Well, it looked like an old jalopy. I was too far away to see what kind. It was going pretty fast, though. One of my deputies found some fresh oil stains over by the hangar, Jay. And we'll go over in a minute and take a look. Todd, I want you to try to remember anything you can about this man. Anything. All happened so fast that there's not much about him I remember. Well, how tall was he? Well, I'd say about my height. Can you describe his voice? Well, he never talked out loud. Just whispered. A real hoarse whisper. Anything else? Well, the way he walked right up to the car, like he'd been waiting for us. Just walked up and made his... Get out. Uh-huh. All right, Todd. I think that'll be all. Ranger, you think I could get back to town soon? I'm kind of worried about Joan. It's all right with the sheriff. He can send you back in his car with one of the deputies. You can come along with me, Sheriff. Sure, Jace. We'll drive over to the hangar and have a look at those oil spots first. Now, just let me tell my deputy. Mm. Uh, Charlie. Well, you take Todd back to town in my car. I'll be with the ranger. Right. Thank you, Sheriff. Thanks. He sure looks like a tough one, Jason. Yeah, but I got a hunch we can narrow it down to one of your local boys. How do you figure that? Well, for one thing, the way he was so particular about keeping his face hidden and whispering to disguise his voice. It does sound like he wanted to make sure he wouldn't be recognized. But it might have been some stranger who just didn't want to take chances on getting his description broadcast. Could be a stranger except for one thing. The fact that he was well enough acquainted with the town to know where couples might be likely to park after a dance. More like a little fellow. Unit 10 to KTXA. Go ahead, KTXA. Sheriff's office has received a call that a man in a stocking mask has just held up a couple at Carroll College football field. Man shot, possibly dead. Request this information be relayed to Sheriff. Football field straight along this road on the outskirts of town, Jace. Yeah. 10-4. Sheriff is with this unit. Unit 10 proceeding to scene at once. Four minutes after we received the radio call, we were approaching the college football field. We saw a car sitting in the center of the parking area and 10 or 12 people grouped around something on the grass a little distance away. A man standing near the car beckoned to us urgently. Pulled up a few feet away from him. 
Uh, howdy, Sheriff, Ranger. Uh, Snyder's my name, Cliff Snyder. I heard the shots from my house over there. It's an awful thing, just awful. You wanted to show us something, Mr. Snyder? Yeah, the, the boy, he's lying over here. I think he's dead. Where is he, Mr. Snyder? Uh, right around the corner of the car. Uh, uh, there. Yeah. Such an awful thing, a young boy like this, and so much blood. I've never seen so much blood, not in all my life. Is he dead? Two bullets in his chest. He didn't have much of a chance. I wish he was dead. That's why I wouldn't let nobody come too close till you got here. It's awful. Yes, dope. Is the girl with those people over there? That's right. Somebody put a coat down on the grass for her. She get shot too? No, no, no. But she got hurt a little. Uh, told us she ran away when this fellow shot the boy. Uh, run toward the football stands. They uh, tripped and hit her head. Jace, if she's hurt bad, we'll have to get her to a dock ourselves. I know the ambulance had to go over to Cedar Falls on an emergency. Let's get over and see her. Who is the girl? Uh, Julie Thomas. Uh, works in the drugstore. Uh, she don't know the boy's dead. You know the dead boy's name, Mr. Snyder? Uh, no, no, I don't. Uh, seen him around town, though. But I reckon you'll have to get his name from Julie. Uh-huh. Will you let us through, folks? Uh, let, let us through, please. All right, will you stand back, please? Julie. Julie, how you feeling? My, my head hurts a little. Is Johnny all right? I mean, look at your head, miss. I've got to know about Johnny. They wouldn't let me go to him. I'm sure he's hurt bad. How bad is Johnny hurt? No, not really. You just realize. Miss, we don't like to ask questions at a time like this, but there are a few things we have to know. He, he shot Johnny. Johnny shouldn't have fought with him. What's Johnny's last name? Gordon. I... I... I told Johnny not to fight with him. Julie, is Johnny's home here in Tipton? No. Spartanville. Do you remember anything about the man who shot Johnny? Something that might help us identify him? I, I saw his face. You what? He he made us get out of the car. Then he, he took my pocketbook and Johnny's wallet. Johnny started to fight with him. He pulled the mask off the man's face. You know the man, miss? Not his name, but... I've seen him around the drugstore. He works at the dairy, I think. Would you recognize him if you saw him again? Yes, I'll, I'll never forget him. We'd like you to come to the sheriff's office in the morning and make a written statement. We may need you to identify the man if we find him. I'll identify him. I... What's the matter? Well, I just remembered. This man who shot Johnny around the drugstore, I've, I've heard people call him Red. Does he have red hair? Yes. Yes, he does, and kind of a crooked nose. Thanks, miss. That could help a lot. Will you let me go to Johnny now? Julie. Johnny's dead, isn't he? I'm sorry, miss. Dead? We were going to be married. Julie, I, I, we I think you We were going to be married didn't... in September. We were going to have a big wedding. I always wanted a big wedding. Come on, Julie. We'll take you to a doctor. You had a pretty bad bump on the head. No, I... I want to go home. Is there anybody there who can take care of you? My father's on the road. He's a salesman. How about your mother? She died a long time ago. Well, then maybe... Please. Please, I want to go home. I don't want to see any people now. If, if I need anybody, I'll call the lady next door. Yeah, we'll take you home. The sheriff's right. You should see a doctor first. All right. Ranger? Yes? 
You sure Johnny's dead? You sure? Yes, miss. I'm afraid so. I see. Oh, Johnny. As soon as the justice of the peace arrived, we drove Julie to a doctor. He said she'd be all right, so we took her home and told her we'd phone her when we needed her. Sheriff and I spent the rest of the night checking on the lead Julie had given us. We learned that a man named Ernest Crockett, sometimes called Red, had worked for the dairy until a week before when he was fired. At seven that morning, we found out that Crockett lived in a room above a feed store. We got a search warrant and went there. I sure hope Julie's got the right man. She gave pretty positive identification. Yeah, but she was excited. She might have seen a man with a broken nose and thought it was this red. It shouldn't take us long to find out if she's right. As soon as we get red down to your office, we'll call Julie and have her try to identify him. You mean if we find red, we could have trouble doing that? Uh Uh-huh. This is as good a place as any to start. It should be the room. skipped? Maybe. We'll get back to the car. I'll ask headquarters to put out an all-points bulletin on him. Yeah, if he has gone anywhere, it's a cinch he hasn't got far. Murder took place at 2.30. That'd only leave him... Hold it, Sheriff. Hmm? Somebody coming up the stairs. Yeah, that could be Crockett. Stay on your toes. He might try something. If he's our man, I almost hope he does. Shh, careful. What's this all about? You read Crockett? Yeah, what do you want? We'd like to ask you some questions. Who said you can come in here? This? Search one, huh? Okay, what do you want to know? Put your hands over your head. Huh? Frisk him, Sheriff. Yeah. Nothing on him, Jason. What'd you expect to find? Where were you last night? Out. Where? All around town. I'm the restless type. Hate to stay in one place too long. Were you with anybody? No, I don't like crowds much. All right, Crockett. You're coming with us down to the sheriff's office. What for? We think you might have had something to do with two robberies and a murder last night. Me? Hey, you're crazy. If you're innocent, you'll have a chance to prove it. What do you mean? Somebody got a good look at the killer. Let's go find out what happens when she gets a look at you. We took Crockett to the sheriff's office and left him with a deputy. Then I phoned Julie Thomas. There was no answer. Sheriff and I drove to her house and found it locked. The woman next door told us Julie had left early that morning for a nearby town of Spartanville to stay with a girlfriend. After some persuasion, the woman gave us the girlfriend's name and address. We went to Spartanville and located the house. I still don't figure it, Jace. Why would she want to skip out like this without letting us know? Mm, She was pretty upset last night, Sheriff. Chances are she still is. Yeah, but there's something funny about this, and I don't like it. Can't say I do either. There. Ranger Pearson. Sheriff and I'd like to talk to you, Julie. Why'd you come after me? Why don't you leave me alone? Can we come in? All right. Your girlfriend around? She had to go out. Is that your coffee on the table, Julie? Yes. You want some? No, thanks. But you finish yours. Then we want you to come back to Tipton with us. I'm not going. Julie, what's the matter? Nothing. I... I... I just don't want to go back. I want to stay right here in Spartanville. 
We think we found the man we're looking for. We'd like you to identify him. I don't believe I could. But you told us last night you'd recognize him anywhere. I know it, but I can't remember anymore. But didn't you see the man who shot Johnny? I thought I did, but I guess I was wrong. All right, Julie. If there's anything we can do for you, just let us know. You're not going to make me come? We can't make you do anything if you don't want to do it. What are you going to do with the man you caught? I reckon we'll have to let him go. Nothing else we can do. Come on, Sheriff. Ranger? Uh-huh. Ranger, I... Oh, I'm scared. I'm so scared. Here, now, Julie, you just sit down. Right over here. Oh, don't here. let him get me. Please don't let him get me. Let who get you? The man who shot Johnny. He told me if I said anything about him, he'd kill me. When was this? This morning. Right after I got home. You mean he was at your house? No. No, he phoned. He said if I told, he'd kill me, no matter how long it took. And I'm so scared. Julie, your pocketbook that was taken, was there any identification in it? My driver's license. Uh-huh. I, I can still hear his voice. Like a knife, it went right through me. Now, he can't do anything to you, Julie. He can. I know he can. Not if he's in jail. Well, he'll break out. He'll, he'll find me and kill me. Let me ask you something. Do you want to spend the rest of your life knowing that the man who killed Johnny is free? Ranger, please. You can be sure he won't stop with Johnny. He'll rob again, even kill again. Ranger, I don't know what to do. I just don't know. It's up to you, Julie. We can't force you to identify him, but you're not being fair to Johnny if you don't. All right. I'll come with you. I'll identify the man who killed Johnny. I won't have to stay long in the same room with him, will I? Only a couple of minutes, Julie. Just so we can be sure you'll have time to recognize him. I'm afraid of him. His eyes and, and that red hair that stands up all over his head. I, I could see him so clear even when he was talking to me on the phone. Now, you don't have to be scared of a thing. You just identify him and we'll make sure he's behind bars for a long time. But, won't he get the electric chair? That'll be up to the judge. Go ahead in, Julie. Is... Is he in there? No, he's in the next office. Oh. Yep. I'll just go on through and see if everything's ready, Jason. Sit down, Julie. No, thank you. You don't have to be frightened about a thing. You keep saying that, but I'm still scared. I'm scared to death. I know you are. I wish there was some way I could help you not to be. You'll stay with me, won't you, Ranger? The whole time I'm in there with him? Sure. Sheriff and his deputy will be there, too. You don't have All to worry. All set, Jason. Now, remember, Julie... Don't say a thing while you're in there. Just look at him and listen to his voice. All right, Ranger. Stand up, Crockett. What's your full name? You know my name? What are you asking for? What's your full name? Ernest Crockett. Where do you live? Okay. Okay, 245 Esperanza Street. You own a gun? Of course not. I never owned a gun in my life. That's enough, Sheriff. Come on, Julie. Take over, Charlie. Sit down, Julie. Here, take his chair. Thanks. I, I will sit down now. Was that the man you saw last night? No. Julie! You sure you didn't recognize him? 
I never saw him before in my life. But, Julie, the, the red hair and the broken nose you told us about, he must be the one. How many times do I have to tell you? I never saw him. I never saw him. You know what I think, Julie? Well, I don't care. He, he's not the man. I think you're not telling us the truth. You're going to prove it? You're going to make me say something I don't want to? Julie, I told you before we can't force you to say anything. But sooner or later, we'll find other evidence against this man. When he comes to trial, you'll be put on the stand under oath. I'll, I'll swear I never saw him before. If the judge finds out you're lying, you could go to jail. Then I'll go to jail. Julie, I declare I wish I could talk some sense into you. You better go release Crockett, Sheriff, and we'll take Julie home. All right, I'll release you. I wish... Forget it, Julie. You do whatever you feel you have to do. But even without your help, we're going to keep after this man till we get enough evidence to convict him. I, I want to do the right thing, but when I looked at his eyes... Well, I, I've got to go away. I've, I've got to leave here today. Well, if that's the way you want it. Where you figure on going? I, I don't know yet. Somewhere out of the state. I, I'll go up to Dallas first and tell my father what's happened. All right. We'll stay with you till train time. Almost ready, Julie? Just about. A few more things I want to get out of this hall closet. Well, you better hurry it up a little. It's 5.40 now. Your train leaves in less than an hour. You've still got time to change your mind, Julie. It's, it's no use, Ranger. Oh, excuse me a minute. Hello? When are you going to get rid of the cops? What? Shortly. You better make it fast. I'm watching you, baby. And I'm going to be watching you. Make one break and... You understand? Yes. Just see you keep your mouth shut. Hello? Hello? What's the matter, Julie? You look pale. I'm all right. That was Crockett on the phone, wasn't it? Yes, Ranger. He's, he's not going to let me get away. No matter where I go, I'll have the feeling he's watching me. Chances are he will be. It's... No use running, is it? It's never worked for anybody. If you still want me to, I'll identify him. Oh, that's fine, Julie. And I'll tell you now, the man I saw in the sheriff's office is the one who held us up last night. He shot Johnny. Come on, Sheriff. We're going to pick up Red Crockett. We took Julie to the sheriff's office, then went to Crockett's room. When we discovered he wasn't there, we alerted all deputies for a systematic search of the town. We informed KTXA that the sheriff and I would be cruising the streets. We just doubled back a second time into the Mexican section when I received a radio call. KTXA to Unit 10. Unit 10 to KTXA. Go ahead, KTXA. Deputy Sheriff has been wounded in gunfight at Estanita Cafe by a man believed to be Ernest Crockett. Hey. Subject escaped after resisting arrest. Holy smoke. 10-4, unit 10 clear. KDXA Austin. Where's that cafe, Sheriff? About a block from the railroad tracks. If you swing left at this next corner, you'll come right to it. Hang on. He's probably taken off in that jalopy of his. He has. It won't take us long to catch up with him. Wonder which way he could have gone. Wait a minute. What is it? Just saw a man run into that alley up ahead. Does it lead anywhere? Down toward the freight yards. You can drive through to the tracks. 
must be running pretty fast. There's no place he could have turned off. Yeah, this is as far as we can go in the car. Yeah. Hey, Jason, saw him. Your lights picked him up. Where? He, he ran toward that boxcar. Let's go. Take it easy around this boxcar. There he goes, Jace, climbing into that empty over there. Hold it, Crockett. Give me that gun, Crockett. Get up. It's only your arm. It hurts bad. Come on, Crockett. You were so anxious to have a train ride. Now I'm going to see you get one. All the way to Huntsville. Here are the results of the case you have just heard. Julie Thomas made a positive identification of Ernest Crockett, and ballistics evidence proved that Crockett's gun had killed Johnny Gordon. Crockett was indicted and on July 9, 1948, was found guilty of murder with malice. At three minutes past midnight on September 15, 1949, Crockett died in the electric chair at Huntsville. Joel McRae in another authentic reenactment of a case from the files of the Texas Rangers. Cray will soon be seen in San Francisco's story, a Warner Brothers release. The cast included Tony Barrett, Bert Holland, Betty Moran, Lou Krugman, Parley Bear, and Michael Ann Barrett. Technical advisor was Captain M.T. Lone Wolf Gonzalez of the Texas Rangers. This story was transcribed and adapted by Charles E. Israel, and the program was produced and directed by Stacy Keach. Hal Gibney speaking. Next, enjoy comedy, drama, and music on The Big Show on NBC. From March the 30th, 1952, that was Joel McRae as Jace Pearson. I think I said Pierce earlier. It's Pearson on Tales of the Texas Rangers. Joel McRae was an interesting guy. In his early career, he did a number of uh, romantic roles, did films for Alfred Hitchcock, for Cecil B. DeMille, a number of others. But as he got older, he found his his niche was really in Westerns. In fact, he was quoted once as saying, and I'm reading this, I liked doing comedies, but as I got older, I was better suited to do Westerns. Because I think it becomes unattractive for an older fellow trying to look young, you know, falling in love with attractive girls and those kind of situations. Anyway, I always felt so much more comfortable in the Western. The minute I got a horse and a hat on and a pair of boots, I I just felt easier. I didn't feel like I was an actor anymore. I felt like I was the guy out there doing it. McRae did a TV series entitled Wichita Town on NBC in 1959. That only lasted a year. He started acting with his son, Jody McRae, in a number of uh, films in the 50s. 
In uh, 1968, McCrae received a Career Achievement Award from the LA Film Critics Association. And the following year, he was inducted into the Western Performers Hall of Fame at the National Cowboy and Western Heritage Museum in Oklahoma City. Uh, McCrae does have a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. It's located at 6901 Hollywood Boulevard. And yet another star at 6241 Hollywood Boulevard for his contribution to radio. His last film was in 1976. He made a film appearance in the movie Mustang Country. McCrae married actress Frances D. in 1935. They met while they were filming the film Silver Cord. The couple had three sons, and they remained married until Joel McCrae's death 57 years later. Joel McRae, like I said, he always seemed kind of boring as the character on Tales of the Texas Rangers, and yet I always loved listening to him. My heroes have always been cowboys And they still are, it seems Sadly in search of And one step and back off themselves and their slow-moving dreams, sadly in search of, and one step and back of themselves and their slow-moving dreams. Here you go, cowboy. Dodge City, folks, for an episode of Gunsmoke. And boy, the episode we have tonight, which was originally broadcast on March the 23rd in 1953, has one of the meanest villains, outlaws you're ever going to meet on any show. Now, Gunsmoke might have had a couple other guys that were crazy bad, but this guy is just stone cold. 
Oh, man. And he's played by Tom Tully. Ironically, the name of this episode is Pussycats. (laughs) You're going to enjoy this one. Dodge City and in the territory on West, there's just one way to handle the killers and the spoilers, and that's with a U.S. Marshal and the smell of gun smoke. Gun Smoke, starring William Conrad. The story of the violence that moved west with young America. The story of a man who moved with it. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. Chester had been helping me with some paperwork after the regular day ended... And we didn't get through until about 10 o'clock. And we were both kind of tired. Well, I sure never did think I'd hold out, Mr. Dillon. I got a cramp in my hand and a crick in the neck. What I need is a beer. (laughs) I'll join you, Chester. Locked up the office and walked down to the Texas Trail with Chester. I guess the best thing that could be said for the night was that it was still. Not cold, not warm. Somewhere in that between that makes you wish it would be one thing or the other. Or maybe it was because we were tired that it didn't feel right. The bar wasn't crowded, and right off, Kitty came over to our table with beer. I thought she looked kind of worried. Hard day, Matt? Oh, no. No, nothing much. Oh. I declare, Miss Kitty, this beer tastes darker than usual. New brew, probably, Chester. Yeah, I suppose. Say, Matt... You ever seen the stranger before? The tall one, Bar? Huh? Ah, no, no. My heavens, Mr. Dillon, he is a lofty man, and that's for sure. Look at him stretch out. Yeah. What about him, Kitty? Well, I don't know. Sam gave me the eye a bit ago, just before you came in. Huh? You trying to make trouble? Sam's not sure. Fellow's been drinking straight for more than two hours, and he doesn't say anything. He just... Looks like he's getting ready. Maybe waiting for something. Yeah. Is the woman with him? Yeah. He was a lean, almost stringy man. Better than usual tall. And he might have served in the army once because he wore his gun butt forward. As we sat, Chester and me drinking our beer, he turned around a couple of times and looked at the door. I never saw a man with 
eyes as gray or with a skin to his face so dry and tough you'd swear you could get sparks off it with a flint. The woman standing next to him talked loud and often, but he didn't appear to be listening much. It was like Kitty said, he, he was waiting. About an hour went by, and the place began to quiet down. Most of the men drifted out to wherever their way was taking them. Excuse me, Mr. Dillon. <laughs> you uh, want to get on back, Chester? Well, yes, sir, I was thinking about it. This beer is so dark, it's making me sleepy. <laughs> well, you go ahead. I'll see you in the morning. You staying? Yeah, yeah, for a while, I think. On account of that tall fella? Yeah, maybe. Guess I'll get a little whiskey and sugar. Might keep me awake. No, you go on, Chester. It's all right. Jack, how long you If it's all the same to you, Mr. Dillon, I ain't sleepy. But, Jack, okay. I'm tired. There's a hotel down the way, miss, that could put you up. You. Shut up. Nobody asked you. Oh, now, Jack, you ain't got no call to talk to the man like that. He's just being helpful. Say, Mr. Dillon, Chester, be quiet. I'm tired. I want to go to bed. Trip on the stage and traveling all day. I, I swear I've never been so... He's talked too much. Be quiet. Stay in here with me. But Jack... You've been talking ever since we come in here. Stop or I'm going to hit you. Might not be a bad thing if you did, Mr. Dillon. If there's anything in this world I hate, it's a woman who does nothing but clobber her guns. Uh, Kitty. I bet he is miserable to be wed to, though. What do you reckon ailing him? I don't know, Chester. You're still here, huh, Matt? Uh, yeah. Uh, sit down a minute, will you, Kitty? Yeah, sure. You, uh, don't know their names, do you? No. I came in on a six o'clock stage from Oklahoma Territory. That's all I know. She's been talking a lot, but mostly about clothes and liquor. He don't say anything. Yeah. You think they're married? She's wearing a ring. Mm-hmm. I've never seen a man drink as much, Matt. It's like water with Honey! Him. Hey, you! Honey! Uh, yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me, Matt. Yeah, sure. Drink then, sure. What do you want to drink? Huh? Sure. Huh? You want you want whiskey and sugar, don't you? Thank you, honey. Sure. Where do you think you're going? I'm going to freshen up, Jack. I'm coming right back. See you do. The woman had just got out of sight when we heard the horses coming down the street outside. There were only six of us left in the place. Sam, Kitty, Chester and me, the stranger at the bar, and a cowboy sleeping it off at a table across the room. The tall man called Jack with the sound of the horses turned to the door. And there was a gun in his hand. You fellas at the table. Get up. Come over here. Boy. Well, I kind of wondered what you were waiting for. I know you've been wondering. That's why you've been hanging around. 
I don't want no trouble with you. Stay out of the way, you won't get hurt. Don't you put your gun away, mister. Don't bother me. There's trouble coming through that door any minute. Put it back. I don't allow gunplay in Dodge. What you allow ain't up to you now, mister. If you're in trouble, it's my job to protect you and your wife. This is private trouble. If you want part of it, I'll give it to you right now. In the belly. Jack, they're here, outside. Yeah, no. We can get out the back. I ain't running no more. You either. Come on, get behind the bar. Yeah, honey. You two fellas unhitch your belts. Leave them lay where they fall. Go on. Honey, you give me a gun, will you? I give you one, I give you one. Wait a minute. Okay. You two get around behind the bar. All right. At the end. You. You and the lady. Well, listen, you can't shoot up this place. Sam, do what he says. Chester and I did as we were told and got behind the bar along with Kitty and Sam. The tall man picked up our guns and tossed one to the woman and then dropped the others beside him on the floor. And then we waited. All of us behind the bar, except for the cowboy drunk asleep at the table. You only had that mirror in for a month. It's going to be busted for sure. Honey, we should have kept going. Got the train in the morning further west. We'd have to stop somewhere. This is as good a place as any. Listen, mister, I'm going over and get the boy sleeping at the table there. He's going to get hurt. You move an inch from where you're at and I'll shoot you. Now shut up, all of you. I hear him out there. Yeah. Start shooting when that door swings in. Mr. Dillon? We- Stay down, Kitty. Don't worry, Matt. There's a figure. Right. Stop talking to Dodge. They'll be in the saloon. True. Oh, I know, Farrell. Well, come on. Might as well start looking in here. Yeah, well, okay. Right. Let's do it a drink. Okay. There he is. The shooting went on for about five seconds, and when the glass started to come down behind us, we covered up. And at that, I felt a warm trickle along the side of my face where a splinter had slashed me. There wasn't anybody behind the bar hurt beyond a scratch or two from the glass. But out there by the door and sprawled out beyond onto the walk were four men. They never had a chance. They'd never have another. Watch out for the glass, Jack. We got him, we got him. Yeah. Yeah, we got him, honey. When I'm still alive. Who is it? It's Acton. Let me. Never did like him. Come on, let's go. All right, Jackie. Sorry we messed up your place, honey. Don't you try coming after us, mister. Jack's had a taste of blood. Come on, come on. Jackie, we're going to have to ride now? Yeah. Oh, honey, I'm tired. Take it easy later. Oh, yeah. Oh. Oh. 
Are you all right, Kitty? No, I, I think so. Hey, look at that mirror. Just look at it. What happened? Chester, get some guns from the office. Saddle up and get back here. Huh? Yes, sir. Yeah. All right now, folks. There's just been a little shooting, that's all. Everything's going to be just... Kitty. Yeah. Get Doc, quick. What is it, man? This man isn't dead. Huh? Well, go on, hurry up, will you? Well, yeah, sure. And she ran out into the night for Doc. And I stayed in the Texas trail watching the life flow out of the bullet hole in the chest of the man the killers had called Acton. His eyes were open, but he didn't see me. And when I talked to him, he didn't hear. While I waited for Doc, I went through his papers. His name was Brad Acton. That's all I could find. About two minutes later, Kitty came back with Doc. Didn't take Doc long to shake his head. Oh, poor fella. He's done that. There's not a living chance. If I could just get him to talk. We got to find out who he is and what they've done, those two. I don't know. He's pretty near gone. We can't... Yeah. Acton. Acton, can you hear me? Acton. Acton. Acton, that fella, Jack Farrow. He and the woman. What did they do? Oh, there's no use. Matt, he Acton. can't say nothing. Now listen to me, Acton. Matt. Acton, who are they? Why did they shoot you? He's trying, the poor devil. He Come on, can't... come on. Now you're wasting time. I gotta get after him. Now what did they do? I'm dying. I'm dying. We've all gotta die. Oh, Matt. That, that ain't kindly, mister. Now I want you to wake up. You hear what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. If I was on my feet... Now, listen to me. Pharaoh. I heard you call him Pharaoh. And the woman. Now, what about him? Why did you come gunning for him? Had it come. Why? What did they do? It don't matter now. It matters. If you're going to die, get it off yourself. Now, come on. You and your pals there. If you did nothing wrong, you'll die more comfortable. Oh, Matt, let him be. It's not Matt, fair. Don't. What about it, Acton? Matt, no, you That's can't. That's enough, Doc. Acton. Uh, California. Out in California. Pharaoh, me, and the boys. We held up a stage in Pharaoh. Took the money and lit out with that woman. We we've been following. Look out for her. She's mean with a gun. Martha Lou. Yeah. 
Yeah. He's gone, Matt. Yeah. I guess you had to do it that way, Matt. But... But what? Nothing. All set, Mr. Dillon. All right, Chester. You going after him, Matt? Why not? They've done murder, haven't they? You have to figure the odds of a man forgiving you for what you do when a thing has to be done. And then you split the difference, and depending on the reasons for doing it, you feel better or worse. I had to do what I did because I had to find out about them, but it didn't help. Even if he was a gunman, I'd given no peace to a dying man, and for that he had to die harder. A man a long way from home. Chester and I rode out into the east the way we figured Pharaoh and his wife would be headed. Sun's coming up, Mr. Dillon. I got eyes. Yes, sir. There's a homestead up around the bend. We'll stop and find out if they've seen anything. No more than a half hour ago, Marshal. I was fixing to fetch some water when I heard them. They stopped, huh? Yeah. The woman looked tuckered out. Never see a woman with all them skirts ride, ride the way she did. It was some picture. How long did they stay? Five minutes, maybe. Wife had some coffee, and they drank it, scalded, and then took off. Headed east? Mm, yeah. They wanted to know how far to Kinsley, or maybe they wanted to know the next station, and I told them Kinsley. I don't know. Santa Fe's doing there for Hutchinson about eight. They do something wrong, Marshal? Just four murders back in Dodge. Come on, Chester. The Pharaohs had enough start on us that if they got the train in Kinsley before we caught up, we'd have to use the telegraph and hope they could be stopped further down the line. With killers like that, there'd be a lot of shooting. And I figured it was my job to be there when it happened. We rode hard. It lacked a couple of minutes before eight when we saw the smoke of the engine. We still had a couple of miles to go to reach the station, and she was moving out when we got there. I swung aboard and held out a hand for Chester. My, running like that, give me a stitch in the side. And the puffs. Uh, Take it easy, Chester. I sure wish we'd have had time to find out if they's on this train, Mr. Dillon. We've lost them good. Well, we'll see. Now, look, there's a lot of people in those cars up ahead. The Ferris see us, and they're going to start shooting. And I don't want that. So go slow. 
we see them first, get out of sight. We'll wait until they get off the train. Yes, sir. Okay. No, Chester, put away the gun. No shooting on the train. Yes, Mr. Dillon. We started from the last car and moved up. That way they wouldn't see us first. I hoped we could get them without any gunplay at all. Mostly for folks who would get hurt. But I didn't have any stomach for shooting a woman, even if she was a killer. We got to the third car when Chester spotted them. There they are, Mr. Dillon. All right, get back. Okay, we'll just stay here. Conductor's coming this way. Good. Well, howdy, Marshal. Mr. Heinsen. You on a pleasure ride or business? Business, Mr. Heinsen. That couple, they're in the fourth, fifth seat from the front. Tall gent? Yeah, and the woman. Yeah, I wondered about them when they got on. Sure are a funny pair. She looks plumb wore out. They've both done murder. Oh, Marshal, there's kids in the car. I want to get them without any shooting. As long as they don't see us, it'll be all right. Now, where's your next stop? About 30 miles down the line. Now. Well, we'll try to figure something out. I hope you can, Marshal. The train rolled on. I saw Miss Farah take a kid on her lap play with it. And the mother in the next seat looked on with fond eyes. I wonder what she would have said if she knew. Jack Farrow just looked out the window. We didn't make a move at the next stop. Two men got off and there were still some 20 people left in the car besides the killers. About 15 miles beyond, the train pulled up again. I could see a big herd of cattle crossing the tracks. It was going to take a few minutes. Mr. Heinsen came down the aisle to the platform where we were standing. Hey, Marshal, I got an idea. See what you think. Yeah? We'll be about 10 minutes waiting until that herd gets across. How about if I tell the folks in the car they can get out stretched legs for a bit? Might give you a chance. All right, go ahead. Hey, stay there, folks. There's little delay for a cattle crossing. If you want to get off for a spell, stretch out a bit. There's plenty of time. We watched. Slowly, one at a time, they made up their minds. The women, glad to let the kids work off steam. The men to size up strange land or somebody else's herd. And they straggled out. There was one old couple that wouldn't move, though. And I saw Mr. Heinsen making an eye and a shrug at me. And then they changed their minds and hobbled off. And I'd left the car empty except for the pharaohs, Chester, Mr. Heinsen, and me. That's your deal, Marshal. Lucky they didn't decide to get off. I didn't think they would. All right, go ahead, Mr. Heinsen, and get those people down the line a bit, huh? Yes, sir. All right, Chester. This ain't nothing like California, Jackie. I never seen anything so flat. How far you think it goes like this? I don't know. You know, I ain't gonna take me a bat. Mm. You wanna take my gun for a while? Dig him in the rib. Hold on to it. Honey. I said hold on to it. All right, get your hands up, both of you high, and don't turn around. 
She must have had her gun already in her hand, wanting to give it to Farrah to hold. She was fast. One minute she was upright in the seat, and then she was gone. Fire into us from behind the seat. Jackie! Jackie! All right, throw out your gun, Miss Farrah. Jackie! Throw out your gun and stand up. I don't want to hurt you. I'll kill you. I'll kill you! Look out, Mr. Dillon. She's going for his gun. Yeah. No, no, it's me! Chester, give me a hand, will you? Now stop it. Stop it. Stop it. I'll kill you! like a crazy woman. It took both of us to hold her, and we couldn't even do that right until we had her handcuffed to the seat. And then she shut up. We just sat there looking at her husband's body. When we got off at the next stop to wait for the next train back to Dodge, Jack Farrow was taken away in a wagon to be buried. His wife stood by the tracks watching it as it moved off. And it wasn't until the wagon became a dust cloud out on the plain that she started to cry. Gunsmoke, under the direction of Norman MacDonald, stars William Conrad as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal. Tonight's story was specially written for Gunsmoke by Anthony Ellis, with music composed and conducted by Rex Corey. Featured in the cast were Michael Ann Barrett and Tom Tully, with John Daner, Lawrence Dobkin, and Jack Crucian. Harley Bear is Chester, Howard McNear is Doc, and Georgia Ellis is Kitty. <laughs> Wasn't he cold? Oh, from March the 23rd, 1953, that was Gunsmoke, and the name of that episode was Pussycats. That's going to kick things in the head for another week. Do not despair because we will be back in two weeks and we'll do it all over again with a whole new slate of shows. Chester is over there. Why are you so frustrated? I can tell he's frustrated. I've been watching him for a while here and he's really pulling his hair out. What's what's the problem? No, you're not going to... He wants to know if he could find a house in Connecticut 
for uh, $3,500. Is that what it was on Mr. Blanding's? $200 an acre? Mm, don't think they're available anymore, Chester. I think those got sold out back in 19, 1948. Yeah. $15,000 a year, though. That was big money back then. <laughs> Did you love some of that? Unbelievable. All right, Chester's telling me we are out of time, so I have to boogie on out of here. This is Bob Bro. I'm so glad you stopped by, and I'm so glad you met me. said to him, look, buddy, your car was upside down when we got here. And as for your grandma, she shouldn't have mouthed off like that.